Hi, and welcome to another podcast episode of The Village ZM. During the month of October, we are talking history. Zambian history, to be precise. History solely focused on our people and what led to this common identity we have. Being Zambian means more than just citizenship. Tuck your buds in and discover something new about our people. Okay, let's go. <clears throat> Calm down for me, bro. Calm down from, from what? From from ten, from five, from hundred. No, calm down from three, bro. From three? Mm-hmm. All right, bro. Which way is down, first of all? <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, let, let, let Zangi do the count. Let Zangi do the count. Okay. Okay. In three, two, and one. What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Village ZM and our second week of Zambia History Month. Today, we are doing part two of our Anthropology of Zambia segment. And in the first part, we talked a lot from the prehistoric era, going all the way to Bantu migration and settlement. And today we are going from colonial era to the present day. So, yeah, I know a lot of our younger listeners will relate more with this era, but it's actually been very interesting to like just see the build up of everything from the prehistoric era and just see how we still have some certain patterns in our culture in present day from even as far as the broken human. It's, it's actually wild if you ask me. So, yeah. So if I were you after this episode, I would go and listen to the previous episode on, on one of our podcast platforms. Over to you, Sui. All right. Um, yeah, just to get started where we where we left off, Zangi is back with us this week again. So hey. yeah, I'm super, super excited to be having this um this conversation once more. And yeah, we're just gonna pick up uh, where we left off, which is you know, going into the colonial era. And I'm I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna ask Zangi to sort of introduce this this period to us a little bit. Just to get us started off. Okay. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Super excited for part two. Yeah, so let's dive right in. So we're starting with the colonial era. And basically, this just describes the period before independence. We're talking about 1870 to 1963, 64, if you want. And this is just a period that describes a time when Zambia was colonized by the British uh, state. So basically, that's what we're talking about to begin with in this part. So, yeah. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Well, so one thing that we know about, well, colonialism is there's two separate types of colonialism that are typically categorized. As um, one of them is settler colonialism. Think like the Americans, Australia, New Zealand, and and that sort of thing, where you know a group of people move in and they actually settle there. And then 
Another category is what I call exploitative colonies, which are colonies that are set up to extract, you know, resources, labor. And and this is, you know, this is where our country, Zambia, falls. And, Mm. um, you know, one of the key, one of the key, uh, I guess, agents of colonialism in our region is is John Cecil Rhodes. I mean, you you know of John Cecil Rhodes. I mean, yeah. And the British South Africa Company. So these are, you know, these are some of the things that we're going to try to get into and, and, and talk about because, you know, the BSAC set up, you know, an, an extensive network of extractive economies to just, you know, exploit resources, particularly, you know, mineral rights in our region and, and stuff like that. And I think it's also worth noting the role of you know European missionaries in in mm, yeah. perpetuating this, they're in in a way I consider them to be the precursor of of yeah. colonialism. You know, I, I don't know what you think about that, Sandy. Definitely, I mean, we we really cannot talk about uh, you know colonialism without um, making mention of the fact that missionaries were definitely what you said precursors to to this period. Um, so really what we have is the policy of imperialism stretching across Africa. So we're talking about how, for instance, European countries, you know, came up and, and just decided that they were going to extend their policies, their influence, you know, over African countries. And so it's really important to note that when it comes to how they did this and how they eventually managed to colonize uh, most of Africa, of course, except Ethiopia and Liberia, which were like settlement areas after the slave trade. It's really cardinal that we remember that missionaries were the earlier agents that were used uh, before active colonialism actually started taking place. And so even when you start getting into John Cesar Rhodes, he comes right after the missionaries because the missionaries had already set up the stage to make colonialism pretty straightforward or, if you want, easy for the Europeans, you know. so. They're definitely the people that we have to mention as agents of imperialism and colonialism uh, before you talk about uh, people like John Cesar Rhodes and BSA Company. So, Okay. Yeah, that's, that's definitely quite, quite an interesting note. So what's the first, you know, what's the first step of, you know, of Zambia becoming essentially a British colony. Well, it was titled a British protectorate. But how did yes. this, you know, how did this start? Where did it begin? Um, I think, well, it can really be traced, you know, like in the 19, the 1900s, because already, again, we've noted the remarkable work of, of different missionaries, right? And so like when the BSA company came into play, you're talking about 18, 1890 to be specific, when actually Cesar Rhodes finally manages to sign the concession, the Lewanika, the Lochner Treaty. Mm -hmm. So basically, yeah, you're talking about 1890. Sorry, Zangi. Yeah. Zangi. Hello. Sorry, you had had cut out um, just on the part where you said, where you mentioned the Lochner Treaty. So could you just step back and just start from there just so we get it good on the record? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was saying that when it comes to direct, you know, colonization of Zambia, we note uh, the 1890 concession that was signed between the BSA company and Assessor Roads and Lewanika, who was the king of the Lozi people. So we have the Lokna Treaty bringing Zambia in direct, uh, you know, colonization of these people. And that's really the beginning. 
And so fast forward to John Cicero's extending his influence, not only in this country, you know, but Zimbabwe, as well as South Africa. So now you talk about how he starts to, uh, you know, partition these areas, you know, under the BSA company. And so eventually Northern Rhodesia is ruled uh, in two separate parts. So we have Northeastern Rhodesia and Northwestern Rhodesia. And then fast forward to 1924, when this two just became one single entity, becoming Northern Rhodesia. And so this is actually when the BSA company now gives over power, their administrative uh, you know, authority to the British government entirely so that Northern Rhodesia becomes um, a protectorate, a British protectorate, which again is different from how um, Zimbabwe, you know, and South Africa were colonized because they had like a, a more severe type of, you know, colonization compared to us who are like a protectorate. And so there's quite a distinction between Zambia being a British protectorate and these other two countries, for instance, which were really colonies. There's a slight difference in terms of the definition and even the attention that was given to, you know, Zambia compared to Southern Rhodesia and Zimbabwe in that sense. Okay. Yeah, that's that's very that's very insightful. And I feel like it's it's worth mentioning, you know, that mm-hmm. when Barotse landed negotiating for protectorate status from yeah. the British, yeah. Lawanika enlists a French missionary, you know, Francois Coya or Francis Coilard. Yeah. And so this is very interesting. Just tying back to the point that, that I brought in earlier about how yeah. missionaries were the precursor to colonialism. Exactly. And it was and were also, you know, key agents in in sustaining this colonialism. Yeah, yeah that is true. So, I mean yeah, we I thought that was worth mentioning. Please carry on. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it was really a crazy time because we have these people introducing a new religion to Africans. And, and the fact that the Lozi kingdom, you know, in our country, Zambia, was, was such a dominant kingdom. So when this missionary, Francois, managed to actually have Lewanika, you know, sign off the mineral rights to the BSA company, I think this, this was a big deal. You know, I think when I'm, I'm talking to students about this particular beginning of colonialism, I joke about how if, for instance, the Lozi King had been a little bit resistant, it would have delayed like our country being colonized. But, you know, when they managed to do that, it was more like over for the rest of Zambia, because even though other kingdoms tried to resist, you know, it being such a dominant kingdom in, in the country made it pretty easy for them to now fight these other kingdoms and in the end, the other kingdoms also had to give in, you know, because of the missionary influence again. And, and that was really how they used it, because the missionaries were sent before, you know, like a cover up, you know. So you, they are talking all these, you know, interesting things. You're talking to people who are not learned, they're not literate as well. So the idea of something new, you know, let's not forget the fact that the Africans were being given new items, you know, this is the first time they're coming into contact with material, with with guns and all these things. And so they are so fascinated and ignorant of the fact that there's a bigger dominion that's coming up uh, and which was like eventual colonization. Because honestly, I think if we think about it, when we talk about the concession itself, 
safe to say that you know this guy did not know how to read because why would you give away why would you sell off like your mineral rights to the whole land if you actually have that knowledge of what you're doing but they really preyed on the on the ignorance of the african kings or the african chiefs in such a way and eventually managed to colonize our country yes that's a very interesting interesting point to note about the concessions about the treaties because you know one of the key and it's been very controversial especially mm-hmm. as it relates to to Barotseland, because yeah. you know, the concession that's granted for mineral rights to the BCAC, it, it talks of, you know, a very poorly defined region that extends, you know, all the way into, into present day Copper Belt, which isn't, mm-hmm. you know, under, it isn't under the Lozi kingdom. That's, you know, that's Lambaland. So it's, yeah. it's a very, it's a very interesting way. But another very important thing that I think we should also be considering is, especially given, you know, the context of, of missionaries as the precursor. It's a very mm. manipulative uh, yeah. process. Because I remember, you know, thinking about it one time, I, I was uh, having a conversation with a few friends and I was thinking mm. to myself, you know, if, if you know, Lewanika says no, Letunga Lewanika says no, I'm not going to sign this. Yeah. You know, the next thing is probably a bullet to his head and then the next yeah. person is then made to sign. So it's a very manipulative process and I think it's very important to understand that you know this this violence that characterizes colonialism isn't just physical it's it's also you know it's also mental manipulation exactly yeah that is true i totally agree you're right yeah so that's just something but anyway let's move a little bit more into because we don't want to get too political the political segment yeah. will <laughs> I'm, i i want to focus on the anthropology the study of people the study of human and and mm. so uh, could you just give us a little bit of insight? What was, you know, what was the colonial period like for, you know, for indigenous people, the, you know, the native Zambians? I think it's a difficult question to to answer, you know, or just to describe, because you're talking about, you know, people who have an aim. They know what they're doing in this particular time. And then you're also talking about the indigenous people, obviously who are, you know, receiving an influx of these uh, Europeans at once into their land and and everything is just new to them, you know. So obviously there's mistreatment, which which is crazy because you, sometimes when you see new people, obviously you think, oh, I mean, these people are new. So how are we going to, you know, get get by, you know, how are we going to interact and things like that. But then these Africans are suppressed, you know, to a point that they are mistreated in their own land. I think that was really crazy for people who are there at that time, because I'm sure with, you know, the new material that they were seeing these Europeans come with, they, I mean, they thought, okay, this is an upgrade. But then there were all those limitations, you know, and things that you can't just have this. It isn't for free, you know, so now it brings about fear and And so many things, because fast forward to, you know, colonialism, it it brought so much like among the people in Zambia, for instance. Now there was a lot of suspicion. So you can imagine people are in the eastern part of northern Rhodesia and then the western side has been conquered, you know. And when people start experiencing the harsh treatment and whatnot, I think it was bound to to bring about this division compared to the unity, because obviously people were coexisting, knowing, okay, there are people in the Western side, you know, there are people on the Copper Belt and whatever. Of course, those boundaries not significantly like named, 
but people just were there was that unity but i think with colonialism i think what started to happen is people just being suspicious of one another um you know disunity that obviously would override that period so much so that even like post-independence people now had to carry that disunity you know because of the treatment that they got in that period so what do you think yeah it's 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 very interesting it's very interesting to to sort of unpack and and analyze mm-hmm. i mean on the one hand i think i think it's you know i think it's the tragedy of humanity that that we suffered from because taking us a little bit back into the last segment yeah historically you have you know people from a foreign land and mm-hmm. and, and they're friendly and you assimilate Right. That's what happened. You know, the Bantu come into this land and they find, you know, the Khoisan and the Twa. And, you know, for the most part, it's it's called cordial relations and, and, and they assimilate. They, you know, they live together in harmony for the most exactly. part. And so I guess, you know, this era sort of blurs the line between the that human essence and naivety, you know, because you don't yeah. expect that the next person intends to harm you. You, mm-hmm. you, know, you expect that they, they don't have an evil intention. Yeah. It's, it's a very tragic thing to, to think about in, in that sense for me. But just to, just, to, just to maybe, I suppose, draw some context from that and move into our struggle for, for independence. Mm-hmm. One, of the, you know, one, of the key, one of the key steps in our independence struggle was, of course, African churches that had been set up. And, oh, yeah. and welfare associations and, and, and yeah. you know, it, it happened through through several waves. So could you could you talk us through a little bit of this just as we as we divert into into the independence struggle? OK, so it's, it's very I think this topic really is just so wide. It is so fascinating to unpack, honestly, because we're seeing how the missionaries, are, you know, are the precursors of colonialism. But then we also see the other effect, you know, that came with missionary work in Central Africa, Zambia also, to be specific. Because when the missionaries came, if we talk about Livingston, for instance, and how he emphasized on the three C's, three things that he really was about. And so you talk about how every time that a missionary society settled in an area, you know, it had to come with a school, it had to come with a hospital, it had to come with a church. So now what this created was now an awareness, you know, and and we have Europeans obviously trying to put these Africans down to control them and things like that. But then also we have the Africans getting an education and just being aware now of the rights. And they know this is not it. I mean, if you're giving us Christianity, I mean, which God is going to, you know, tolerate this kind of treatment? And so now the effect on the Africans is that they want to rise up. And, and this is where we see primary resistance, which is like the first stage of, you know, like trying to resist colonial rule. And this is, of course, where you bring about uh, welfare associations or native associations. Now, the difference is, you know, with the first group, like the first stage of uh, resistance to colonial, rule, which involve welfare associations. We have the educated Africans, you know, we also have African breakaway churches, very, very important in in, in the struggle because they as well, like set the tone for what was later to come. And so these people were not trying to be violent. They just said, hey, you know what? We want to have like peace in our country. We want the welfare of Africans to be protected. You know, we want our conditions to be improved because this is our country and things like that. 
So they were really not trying to be violent. And we can still equate that to how church institutions resolve conflict. They are more on a like a subtle level. They're not going to come come out at people like with force and whatnot, but they're going to appeal to you, to your senses, to your moral, like, uh, you know, this is good and this is bad. But obviously with more of this now and obviously seeing that these people were not badging, now this is where secondary resistance was introduced, you know, and we see political parties now forming up, of course, again, from, you know, educated Africans and they were not having it. So when it comes to secondary resistance, that was more violent because people knew that being soft in terms of wanting freedom, wanting their independence, wasn't going to happen if they took that route of primary resistance. And so secondary resistance brings about formation of political parties and just nationalist ideas and movements of people just wanting to be independent. So, Okay, well, th- thank you so much for those insights. Uh, just a quick, a quick note, just to clarify. So David Livingston's three C's are... Christianity, commerce, and civilization. Yes. <laughs> and it's interesting because, you know, these are the three C's of colonialism as well. This is what yeah. they, this is what they were trying to do. And there's actually this, this philosophy that's called, you know, the white man's burden. And that's what, that's what colonialism is, is really about. So it's just interesting to, to just, to just know about. Now, just to take us a few, you know, a few steps further, you know, we've gone through these waves. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, we haven't gone into too much detail because we're trying to focus more on the bigger picture, the people picture. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that will be all discussed once we once we talk about our political history. But it's mm-hmm. very interesting looking at, you know, the the Declaration of Independence. And one of the most fascinating things is, of course, Northern Rhodesia goes to the 1964 Olympics. And in the course of these Olympics, we have our Declaration of Independence on October 24th. And we have a new flag and a new name at the the closing ceremony. I thought that was really interesting. Very interesting. That's that's, that's right. Very interesting fact, because we're the only country recorded to have changed names just between the, the opening and the closing ceremony of the Olympic Games. So pretty interesting fact. Okay, yeah, that's that's definitely true. I mean, it's never it's never happened before. So I thought that was really, you know, a piece of a piece of history and a historic event yeah. that's, you know, probably very unlikely to happen again. Yeah. But could you just give us your before we move on to, you know, into the contemporary space, could you just give us some some closing thoughts on the colonial era? What's what's one key takeaway from from this? Um, well, Basically, I think it's it's just the suppression of, you know, like the African voice, you know, and wanting to push an agenda that wasn't ours, because for me, I feel like that has affected uh, so much, um, you know, of our development to an extent that I think people, you know, of course, we're trying to 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 build based on that. But then again, there's some limitation. And, you know, for me, it's it's crazy because I usually say uh, the way colonialism worked for me, I think, was was really about the mental. And if I feel like if you can control the mental aspect of somebody, that's it. It, it really takes uh, so much for somebody to come out of it. And I feel like we don't talk about it so often, but in, in a way. To an extent, I feel like we're still colonized. You know what I mean? Because 
we have all these, uh, you know, uh, remnants of the colonial period. You talk about education, talk about our language, even all those things are rooted in the effects of colonialism. And, and I mean, we're OK with where we are right now. But are we really free? Because there are so many there's so many people wanting to fit uh, fit into the Western you know, standards of living and things like that. You talk about um how perceptions have changed in terms of uh, what makes you wealthy. You know, back in the t- in the day, it was probably you having like so many cows, you know, property in terms of land, uh, you know, family, children like that was wealth. But now everybody is all about, you know, the hassle. Everybody is about, you know, wanting the latest fashion and things like that. And it's 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 a it's a mind, uh, you know, it's a mind control kind of thing, because I think we've moved away from really recognizing like what was our way of doing things before that period, because now I think it's difficult to recognize, uh, you know, where we're coming from, because our history is somehow like clouded by, you know, that period, because um, what slave trade did was, you know, really focus. It was so much heavy, like on, on like physical, you know, that evidence seeing people, but they came up and said, okay, fine. So slave trade is done. How are we going to control these people further? You know, and when they came with, with changing the standards of living, changing, you know, your perception of all these things they were coming for the mind. And so the question really is, are we really free? Because, you know, I think most of the things that we do are still rooted in in that particular time and how effective they managed to control the African, uh, you know, narrative from that point. So much so that I think it has outlived that period. I think for me, that's that's my biggest, you know, worry, my biggest, uh, you know, thought process around uh, the colonial time. Of course, it's done, but. There are so many effects from that time that are still evident today. And can we run away from that? How do we move forward, you know, with those effects still being present today? Yeah. And well, what you've mentioned is the perfect segue for our next segment, which talks about, you know, contemporary history, which I, I, you know, I've, I've summed it into three, three main parts, which is mm-hmm. coloniality. Basically what you talked about, I'll, I'll define it in a moment. And then how we need to also have a conversation around decolonization and tribal fluidity as well, which is something that we meant um, in, in the previous segment when we talked about abandoned mm-hmm. uh, migrations. So uh, I guess, you know, one of the one of the key things that I always keep in mind, there's this quote that says, know your history or be doomed to repeat its mistakes. And mm-hmm. I think in our context. This is something that we always need to keep at the back of our mind. Mm-hmm. So where do I begin? Okay. <laughs> I just need to take a moment because I, I really don't like talking about this because it hits really close to home. Now, yeah. we've had our independence, political independence mm-hmm. in inverted commas. And yeah. so, you know, hard colonization is a thing of the past. But mm-hmm. place like Zambia, so many resources, we're still a battleground for influence. Oh, you yeah. Know, you know, we have, you know, the West trying to flex its muscles in, in, mm-hmm. in, and influences. And we also have, you know, the emerging powers in the East also doing the same thing. Yeah. So, so, you know, this is something that it's, it's familiar. It's, it's like, <laughs> you know, like, where have we seen this movie before? 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's something that really hits close to home when, uh, when you think about it that way, but just to sort of define coloniality, as I mentioned before, it, it refers to, you know, uh, intangible patterns of power that emerged as a product of colonialism, especially mm-hmm. when it relates to knowledge production and intersubjectivity yeah. relations. This is how it's, it's defined. And there's a, there's a Peruvian um, sociologist. Uh, his name is Anibal Cuanjo. Uh, and he explains that we can identify coloniality through its desire to control authority, the economy, yeah. gender yeah. and sexuality, and knowledge and subjectivity. So, you know, when you think of these things and, and list them out, it, it, yeah. It's basically intended to control the world as we know it. Mm-hmm. And that's the blockade that stands between where we are today and going through the whole process of decolonization. Yeah, so, I mean, do you think we're still going through that process of decolonization? Oh, oh 100%, 100%, because... The, the thing, the thing about decolonization as it is today is it's, it's, it's a very abstract, um, concept. It's something that doesn't happen in, you know, it doesn't happen in like a physical space. It, it requires True. us to basically rewire our brains and, and think oh, yeah. of a different world. Yeah, that's true. Like think of how we do certain things as well, like what influences, you know, our actions, which I think not so many people do. I think people now are just caught up in in doing things without stopping to think, where am I getting this from? And I think that's another danger on its own, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the lot of things that we've come to now sort of accept as, Mm -hmm. you know, this is just this is just tradition. This is the where things are. And and it's like, no. This is the way things were done during the colonial era. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you have to now start to unpack and look at, okay, what was our society like before colonization? You know, and, 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 and what is, you know, what is, what does our society look like if we determine it for ourselves? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I guess one of the challenges that, you know, decolonization faces is it's, it's used as just like a metaphor mm. for, for different things. Like, okay, no, we, we, we're decolonizing where we have all these human rights based social justice projects. Oh, yeah. like yeah. I speak on a lot of these things in my article. So if you're really interested in more depth on this, go check out that article for sure. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's on, it's on the village ZM's Twitter. So yeah, just go check that article out. It gives a bit more depth. Um, to this. But just to summarize, decolonization asks us to transform our worldview. It asks us to, um, it asks us to dramatically reform society. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, 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 it's not, it's not like, uh, it's not like the next step in, in, in our evolution or whatever. It's, it's a different direction completely. And that's, yeah. that's what I feel like a lot of people need to start to understand in, yeah. in approaching it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, because 
we have like the young people, obviously, there's so many young people these days that, you know, I, I think I just caught, you know, and even if you have like a history lesson of Zambia, it's like, why are we learning this already? You know, because they are right here. And they, I think the comparison is with the Western world, because I think they, they're not drawing reference from their own country. You know, like, I mean, it's not just Zambia. I feel like even other African countries might might find themselves in this space, you know. And and again, that's the importance of knowing your history because if you if you're just about going with the trend and whatnot, it's so easy to lose yourself because I think you can adopt so many different things that are not your own. But when you really start to think about why certain things have happened, you know, and, and looking at our country, for instance, why certain systems are still failing and all that, like then the individual now can start to take it up upon, you know, uh, themselves to try to make a difference. But I think if you're okay with, oh, I mean, this is how it's been and you're not trying to investigate how things could be better, you know, and think about a time before the colonial, you know, period, I think it makes it very difficult to actually want to move, uh, you know, in a country that, that sees things like move forward and, and like there's so much dependence on, on like a Western perspective, which is, which shouldn't be the case really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the ways that it manifests itself is is through education. It like teaches yeah. you that, you know, there's a certain way that's correct. Yeah. And a different way. For example, you know, in the academic space, when yeah. you're writing a paper, you know, m- more often than not, you're asked to cite an academic source, but it's like, yeah. no, like, like I can still get, credible information from a conversation with my grandmother. Exactly. And, and that, you know, we, we, we don't really think of as like, as like part of coloniality, but in reality it is, it's a major part of it. And yeah. just to sort of bridge this conversation uh, and, and, and move us a little bit further along. Another very key uh, part of coloniality um, is, is the way that we view tribe. Oh yeah, uh, this like rigid thing, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, in 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 the past, right? Mm-hmm. Africa was characterized by pluralism, flexibility, and and multifaceted identity. And then after yeah. colonialism, it's like, no, you are this, you are Lozi, you are Tonga, exactly. you are you know, you are Bemba, yeah. you are you are Chewa, you are, that's all. And it's like, no, yeah. that's not how that's not how it is. And you know, we've yeah. talked about this in in the migrations, and that's you know yeah. that's. Prior to the colonial era, that's what our society yeah. is like. And, and that's what it is like today still. But then we still have this, this construct that hangs over our heads and it's like a noose around yeah. our neck. Yeah, that, that is true, you know, because uh, I think the colonial era really uh, aggravated those differences, you know, uh, especially of tribalism. This wasn't a problem before that. But now, you know, after these people come, you know, the Europeans come and then now people start to see, oh, OK, so now we're even different. And then there are so many boundaries, of course, uh, boundaries, uh, you know, also being drawn from the migration, you know, in terms of settlement. But then I think at that point, it wasn't really political as compared to what it became, you know, uh, during and after colonial rule, because now this was more evident and, and people just wanted to identify as themselves. And now this is still a problem like today, which really wasn't the case. I think we were okay, like you said, you know, being multifaceted and, and just in different places coexisting. But now there's, there's, I feel like there's this um, 
this urge to, you know, like isolate and just, you know, identify as a particular thing that sometimes when you, when somebody else, you know, wants to identify you with another, you know, tribe, it's like, no, don't do that because this is just my tribe. Like, where did that come from? You know, so I think all that really just made everything like very crazy. Yeah, that's very, that's very, that's very true. That's very interesting to note. But also, I guess, I I guess maybe not to be too pessimistic to, to our credit. I mean, from a linguistic perspective, it's, it's normal for a Zambian to be fluent in, in many different languages, depending on where you are. Like, you know, in Lusaka, most often you speak Nyanja and, and on the copy belt, obviously, um, one of the more common languages is Bemba. And, And that sort of transcends, like when, you know, when you, migrate into a different er- area you, you typically will pick up the language um pretty quickly and 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 assimilate into that um into that linguistic uh, culture so that's you know to our credit i feel like we do we do try to push that and more often than not the tribal division is pushed by uh by politicians i think okay i think fair enough i mean i totally get what you're saying but you know, language, again, when we talk about like the linguistic side, again, this was used by the Western powers, you know, just to divide our territories like in, in our country and just create new identities. I think that I mean, of course, not I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I think we also cannot run away from the fact that the fact that, you know, there were different uh, you know, languages spoken and whatnot. And then comes the Western power saying, you know what, like English should be, you know, the norm. I mean, English is even like our official language as well, you know, but I think it, it also just uh, brought out those differences, that division in terms of, uh, you know, our territories linguistically and also creating new identities because again, now it's like, uh, I think that's still evident, honestly. When we talk about linguistic side, like the ling- linguistic area that that's still a thing like today you mm-hmm. know so yeah I, I guess i mean yeah no i definitely it's it's one of those it's it's, it's, it's an oxymoron really it's very it's it's, it's a huge paradox yeah. it's like okay do we choose to speak english the language okay. of our colonizer or you know do we decide that to to eat their own and and have 73 different languages yeah because so, like like we could go the route of of like a place like South Africa where they have several official languages, but yeah. it's like at some point, you know, a certain a certain language gets excluded. So mm-hmm. how, how do we how do we solve this problem? And that's you know that's a big struggle for us. And you know, we'll see how it goes from there. It really uh, is. Um, but again, interestingly, you know, we also have seen the rise of like a of like a dominant Zambian culture, I think, in in mm-hmm. the sense and, and two things kind of come to mind in this. One of them is the attendance of traditional ceremonies. We have people, you know, from all parts of the country going to different different ceremonies uh, yeah. uh, in so many different places. You know, Kulamba, Kumboka, Mtomboko, Nchwala, Shimunenga, just yeah. to name just to name a few like off the top yeah. of my head. You know, people people go there even though they're not from specifically from those regions where these ceremonies mm-hmm. are happening, and so it's like it's embraced as like a Zambian traditional ceremony rather than a ceremony for this 
this tribe that happens to you know exist in Zambia. And then you also look yeah. at you know Bemba customs like Chilanga Blilo, Matewato, and stuff. And like you have people from from all across the country adopting adopting these these customs. Yeah. And, and so it was like you know we're getting to a point where uh, sooner rather than later we're gonna embrace everything, and it's like. You know, you find yourself having yeah. urban schools, having elective courses on, on various, you know, Zambian languages. Like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be in, in Solwezi to learn, you know, to learn languages like Lunda, Luvale and whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah. That would be very interesting. Yeah. I suppose there's, there's still, you know, there's still hope, I suppose, in, in that sense. And yeah. yeah and I, I think it's really up to us, you know, to, to also just uh, look forward to that and, and, um, maybe just try to plant that, uh, you know, like in different generations, uh, because I feel like maybe, you know, let's say the nineties group. Yeah. Like, I think we, we are people who, I'm moving like that, like embracing, you know, uh, different cultures because at the end of the day, we're Zambian. But then there are these kids who couldn't be bothered to, you know, want to know about, you know, their heritage and things like that. I think that's where the work really needs to be done. I think it should be intentional that uh, just like you said, some of these, uh, you know, like structures are just put in place so that the generations that are coming, you know, have that place to to learn, uh, you know, like the Zambian aspect generally without segregating uh, or without isolating one from the other. I think that's very important. It really calls for a lot of intention, you know, a lot of intentionality in, in just making that possible. Yeah, most, most definitely. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I guess we, we work on over time and yeah. over generations, because I feel like, you know, for the most part, the next, um, the next generation won't quite feel a strong inclination to mm-hmm. to a tribe rather than to to the country to their family and like yeah most families in Zambia today are extremely extremely blended like i don't know, yeah. I don't, I don't know. like yeah like you have you have ancestry from from all over the country through intermarriage yeah. through migration resettlement and and all that and so you know the next generation probably has a, a the best opportunity to resolve this, uh, this sort of, um, problem that we find ourselves in, in, in the middle of right now. Yeah. I hear you. I hear that. That is true. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think, I think we're coming towards the end of this. I mean, it's not been, it's not been completely exhaustive. There's a lot more depth to go into, but we kind of just wanted to get this, um, conversation started. Um, I'm yeah. sure that we'll be back. Hopefully, we'll be back um, with with Zangi collaborating on on different topics in the future. But yeah, um, real quick, I just want to give Zangi an opportunity to give her her remarks and also plug yourself, Zangi. Tell 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 our audience about your podcast and and everything. Anything that you you know wanna wanna put out um, for yourself. 
Oh, okay. Well, um, thank you so much for having me, you guys. Um, I really love every opportunity to learn, you know, and just to converse with uh, like-minded people. And just the fact that October is very, very special to me. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, very close to my heart. I'm so grateful um, that I got to collaborate with you. And I look forward to just listening in, you know, and, and possible, uh, you know, collaborations in the future especially about history and just things that pertain to you know um just upwardness you know getting better you know like just for the the the, the general you know the general good so to say otherwise yeah uh please listen to my podcast when you have chance um I'm on Anchor and uh, Zangi Mumber and I just have different content and just looking forward to, you know, having different guests on there as well. But I'm sure you learn something because I, I'm usually looking forward, uh, you know, to just displaying uh, practical things, practical experiences, you know, and, and just give a perspective of that. So please uh, go and listen to one or two podcasts and let me know what you think otherwise thank you for having me it's been such a pleasure and an honor to be here all right awesome well thank you for collaborating with us we've learned a lot from you and um yeah we look forward to we look forward to more in the future um with that being said to all our listeners all across the globe if you're listening on rovert radio first of all shout out rovert radio um, yeah. Or if you're listening on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever, just shout out to you too. Um, thank you for tuning in. This is the Village ZM. Happy Zambia History Month. And yeah, we will catch you in the next segment. We have a few more exciting segments coming up. And yeah, all, all I can say, I guess, just to close this off for now is you know let's be kind to each other let's be you know let's treat each other with with respect and dignity and and always remember that you know we have we have an opportunity to build a society that transcends time you know so let's let's work together let's not try to exploit each other we we can definitely build something um something great as, as a people and so Let's tap into that opportunity. Drops mic.